folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting brands and digital agencies to unpack where they're at, where they're going, and how they're navigating the consumer landscape. I'm your host, Tim. I'm changing up the format a bit for the rest of the year. I'm moving from a season-based schedule to weekly episodes. This will continue into next year also. I really appreciate you tuning in. So if you've got any feedback, you can hit me up at timatyourbasketisempty.com. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, welcome to the pod. Uh, on this episode, I'm speaking with Lolly Unwin. Lolly is the founder of The Copy Club, a community of entrepreneurial marketers with a thousand members and counting. Copy Club are a gang of the marketing mates you've been looking for. They run supper clubs, events, have a range of resources and incredibly lively Slack group. She also leads the marketing for luxury fashion accessories brand Elizabeth Scartlett and Dr. Wills. They are uh, make healthier condiments uh, and has advised a range of challenger brands from Pippa Nut to Vetbox. Lottie, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Hi, uh, very good. Thank you. <laughs> and in my home office in East London. Lovely. Where, where, whereabouts in East London? Uh, just behind Broadway Market. Oh, nice. I'm in Walthamstow. So I, I know, oh, just yeah. up the road. What are we yes. doing? We should be yeah, hanging I out. I know, right? I know. Well, it's funny you say that because a few people have asked me to do real life like podcasts now. And as I was saying before, I've got like all the equipment to do it, but it's just so easy on Zoom. Like I can record anytime, anywhere. Like I've got so many funny stories about in real life podcasts. I keep being asked to do them. I turn up on the assumption that it's the same as a Zoom podcast. And then there's like a full video studio and like a camera in my face. And I'm like, why did no one tell me to wash my hair? Oh, <laughs> like, interesting. Because I'm just not, my brain is just not used to it. So um, I just assume it's exactly the same as this. And I can yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, bring my water bottle and just rock up. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's a whole load of like, footage of me looking like I've just left the gym because I have <laughs> And do, do you find those any more, uh, well, my sense is you maybe don't find them nerve wracking, but do you find them any more nerve wracking because there's a camera there and it's not just audio? Um, no. Okay. Good. I, famous last words. I don't really get nervous. I get nervous with very specific things, which is where I'm um, like out of my comfort zone. But, you know, we just get to talk about stuff I love. So I'm happy. Yep. Okay, good, good. You sound like a fantastic guest for a podcast. So I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're doing this. <laughs> right. So as with most things, I like to walk us back a little bit and go through the journey. So I'm curious to learn why did you decide to move from a big dog like P&G and focus on growth stage companies? Oh, love that. Um, so I was, if I say so myself, very good at P&G to start with. Okay. <laughs> so my first job was on Lacoste Fragrance, which was a tiny part of the fragrance business at P&G. So they owned Hugo Boss and Gucci and Dolce & Gabbana and all of these brands that were like growing like steadily. And they were like huge businesses with huge media budgets. 
Lacoste was in decline because like Lacoste was a bit of a tired brand at the time. This was about mm-hmm. 10 years ago. It was in decline. No one really thought much of it. And, and therefore it was kind of just the lowest priority and they just put the new girl on it. And I just had such a ball because I basically, cause no one was watching. I was basically able to say, what is really going to drive this business forward? Mm. And you know, unfortunately, like managing a 2% year on year decline didn't really light me up. So like, what's the difference? Why not? I I can't imagine why. Yeah, It's utterly bizarre. Yeah. Like surprisingly, (laughs) I didn't want to get out of bed to do that. So I was able to really interrogate, like, what is it going to take to to move this brand forward? And did some pretty radical stuff, like basically spent a load of money on um, winning over the consultants in a in a boot store who you go and say you know when you walk into a shop at christmas to buy perfume and you basically walk up to the boots person and you say hey it's like my cousin johnny's christmas present what do you recommend and i kind of realized that actually those people made the decision not the customer and so i just put all the budget into advocacy and training made them these like ridiculous kits where there was like pop-up stuff and prizes and sent them to Paris and won all these competitions and then spent loads of my time out in store. So I'd go and do shifts in different stores to like really buoy up the teams and like really understand what was going on for them in the ground. This was not the playbook. Like the playbook was you go to a media agency, you smack a load of money into TV and print and then you drive customers into store. And, And advocacy was part of it, but none of the other brand managers were kind of championing it mm-hmm. they were like it was part of their plan and I was like hold mm-hmm. up if I switch my priorities and I just go really really healthy leather into this what would happen and, and so we got to nine percent growth from a business that was meant to be in two percent decline and suddenly I was like the golden girl because mm-hmm. everyone was like hold up like what's going on over there mm-hmm. um and that meant that I got promoted so then I well, like I did I got rated I got like a one rating and, and then I got moved on to Dolce & Gabbana which was a baptism of fire because you had literally Mr. Dolce, Mr. Gabbana approving everything you did. Oh, right. And wow. like, I learned how to build a brand. <laughs> like you talk about like importance of consistency. It's like, mm-hmm, those guys yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. understand what that's about. Yeah. So that was a phenomenal crash course in brand building. Also in like being in the foreign office, because I was basically working into like a brand team based in Italy, a central PNG team in Geneva, and then my local business unit in the UK. And so I was doing a lot of like managing paperwork, mm-hmm. but what I wasn't doing was that much actual marketing. Mm. And I just kind of felt like the more senior I got, the more I was being put into roles where I was doing less, how do I sell this stuff? Mm-hmm. And more, how do I get this stakeholder to see that mm. this quite boring mm. piece of work that could be done slightly differently would mm. have a marginal impact somewhere? I just, I didn't really feel like I was moving the needle. Um, And then the other thing was that all of the coaching I was getting was really specific to becoming a certain type of person. And so people talk about proctoids, which is like what you become when you've been at P&G too long. Wow. So that's not a hemorrhoid cream that they they, they produce. But it, you know, I think like all similarities intentional like it sounds <laughs> let's think about it does it sound particularly aspirational no not particularly i'm a no. huge teacher's pet so there was me like gunning like throwing everything at becoming this person and i suddenly was like hold up 
I don't want to be that person. <laughs> like, that's not that's not what I want. Like, I want to be who I am. I don't want to be coached into being someone else. And I looked around at senior leadership, and there's a lot of people I took a lot from, but I didn't have a role model. There was no one I thought, I want to be like you. And so I kind of realized that I was throwing all of my energy at something and an outcome I actually fundamentally didn't want. And so that that was kind of the reasons to think outside of PNG. And then an amazing guy, Alex Petridis, who's gone on to be the co-founder of All Plants, who I now work with, Elizabeth Scarlett. So he's someone who's been in my career a long time, like came across me, went for a coffee and he sold me the dream. So yeah. I think it was a lot of push and a bit of pull. Yeah. And, and that was that was the jump into startups. Okay, so that was the genesis. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then I suppose like, and we can we can touch on the kind of like that next phase. But I, I'm curious. Then, at what point did you decide you need a, a community of marketing mates? Pretty quickly. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's me at PNG being like, I am actually really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been kind of boiled. I'm up a shithole proctoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys exactly. not know that? Yeah. yeah. Do you not know this? I'm like, so when I joined Propercorn, they'd spent a lot of money on media in an incredibly impactful way. So they'd done these bus wraps, which are still pretty iconic. You know, covered big London buses in popcorn print. And my brief was sort of, we spent a lot of money on something. Nothing's really happened to the key business metrics. Like, help. Can you bring some trained marketing thinking into what we're doing? And so I was kind of hired to be the medicine that no one wanted. Mm. Like everyone knew, like the business knew they needed it, but they didn't really want it. And so it was a bit mm. of a strange remit because there was a real energy within the company to carry on being creative and to carry on being unstructured. And yet I'd been specifically recruited to change that, but there wasn't necessarily the cultural buy-in. Mm. And so that crash landing was <laughs> brutal. Like there was me with my ego there was like a context that didn't feel potentially like the right place for me to step into. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and fundamentally my, my, my challenge was sell more popcorn with 50 grand a year max. And actually I knew how to sell more fragrance with 13 million pounds a year. <laughs> you know, and I was like, Slight different scenario. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And so very quickly I realized that the only way I was going to get through kind of emotionally and practically was to start having friends in the industry who I could call upon. Yep. And that, that I never intended to start a community. I started meeting people because I knew that that's how I learned. And at what point though, did it become a thing? So um, was it critical mass? Uh, so or was I, it I did what I, you know, what I call kind of aggressive networking for a few yep. months where I yep. just like gunned like, how many coffees can I get in a week? Yep. Yep. Who would nice. be nice. work? It was really, <laughs> I, I don't tend to do anything by half. So it's pretty like full on. Yeah. And then everyone I met came away from it buzzing. You know, I would leave kind of go, I, I am so grateful. This is on me. I appreciate your time so much. And they kind of be like, what are you talking about? Like, this has been really helpful for me. And I was like, well, really? Because I've just sort of moaned at you. And actually what I, you know, what I now realize is that like, obviously mentoring works both ways round. And obviously yes. like everyone appreciates a sounding board. And in those yes. conversations, while I thought I was like taking all the oxygen, actually it was a bit more two-way than that. Yeah. Um, and so all of the conversations were 
incredibly valuable and like it felt like there was a real energy both ways around and it happened over and over again I kept thinking well this is weird why if this is so useful where's my invite to the thing where people do this all the time because I just I just assumed that there'd be a pub on a Thursday night in Covent Garden where all the marketing people would go yeah and then no like I'm still not getting the invite yeah (laughs) And like the, the weeks went by and I was like, is this me? Like, what's yep. going on? Yep. And yep. Was, you know, it kind of the penny began to drop that, no, there was, there was no thing that, and, and actually I just thought, well, everyone I'd met was really great and maybe they'd already like each other. So I just booked a table at a restaurant, invited 15 of the kind of people I'd met to come for dinner. They liked it. The next day, the emails were like, great. When's the next one? It's like, ne- ne- oh, next one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, coming up. Nice. <laughs> and it really just grew from there. So it became a thing, I think, quite fast um, because I saw the value and I felt like other people saw the value and it was making me feel really alive. I was meeting great people. I was learning loads. My eyes were being really wide open, like opened to this like big world of work. Because before I'd worked in a business park in Surrey, like I didn't really know... <laughs> It was like a yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I didn't really know yeah. that there was like I used to sit on the tube and be like, where are all these people going? Yeah, interesting. So it many East people, London. so yeah. many jobs. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm like, oh, I know where they go and I understand how all this <laughs> Yeah, they're part of, yeah, that was part of coffee bar. Exactly. So I inclined to maybe fast forward a little bit. And so like my understanding is that like, you know, in its current form, so the Copy Club is like a mixture of community, education, recruitment services. But how do you kind of describe the model? Um, I describe it like an octopus. Yep. So we have the head of the octopus, which is the yeah. community. So everything yep. we do is about the community. It's why we exist. It's what for everyone in the business drives us forward, which is like talking, supporting, working with other people on interesting marketing. Um, from that, like from that head, we've grown some legs, yep. which are services that have become self-evident needs. So if you if you see your community ask for the same thing yep. over and over and yep. over again and yep. not find an answer, yep. it is agonizing to not build it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's it's really hard not to, as opposed to brave to build it. And so yeah. um today we have recruitment, which we call matchmaking, and we do a little bit differently to typical recruitment, um, brand hackers where we run outsourced marketing teams for startups. Yep. Um, and we do some courses um there are you know a hundred more legs waiting in the wings yep um but right now those are the three that that make the most sense and they've been the same three from the moment where i decided to kind of begin to build this proactively so i used to do all three on my own yep i now have a wonderful team of 17 of us i think who across across the team run the three parts of what we do yeah, right. Okay. So, so so do they all, so I'm curious about that. So just to take an example of the recruitment thing. So you were seeing more and more of the marketing people that are on the ground doing this stuff coming to you and saying, Hey, I'm looking for a new job or whatever. And that sort of. Um, I would get out. asked daily. This was four years ago. Every day I would get asked if I knew a head of marketing or a marketing manager for something. Right. And I would get the email and I'd go, um no from from a brand brand from a a founder from a hiring manager i'd literally think about it i'd always get the email i'd always sit and think sometimes Mm -hmm. i'd be like oh yeah i spoke to someone yesterday they'd be great most of the time i'd be like oh i'll think about it yeah and then 
it kind of struck me and was like, huh, recruiters, I believe, are very rich people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've heard that like, this is quite a good business. Yeah. And clearly there's a problem here because like everyone needs help with this. Yeah. Um, And I also looked around and was like, I have helped people find jobs because sometimes I would think of someone. Sometimes just randomly something would pop into my head and I'd be like, yes, I know exactly the perfect person. But the reason that I wasn't doing that more often was just because I didn't have headspace for it. And I had no, you know, I wasn't writing it all down. It was literally just in my brain. There was no, there's no tracking. There was no like structure. So I just decided to reply and say, um, yep. And if I find you someone, there'll be a finder's fee of 250 pounds. I set up an email signature and I would say, yep, I charge a finder's fee details below. Let me know if you're up for it. They'd reply and say, yep, I'm up for it. And that's how it started. And then I managed to place some people who like most of whom are still really good friends today. Like the first people who got jobs through our matchmaking service was just some good mates, but amazing, you know, love that I can do that for them. And they've gone on to have jobs that they have got a lot out of. And then it really built from there. So started putting the prices up and up because I was realizing how much time it was taking to do it really well. And Fast forward today, there's two full-time matchmakers and we've placed a huge number of people in really fantastic roles. Nice. So I'm curious then, what's the best thing about running a community? What's the most challenging? Because you know you're doing it at scale. You know, this isn't like five people community. Like it's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> there's a few. Um, the best thing, oh God, there are so many. I'll take two. One, I just make so many friends. <laughs> like, marketeers are fascinating, lovely humans. Yeah. They are interested in people. They are curious. And they ask big, open-ended questions. Like, they're just people I want to hang out with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's one thing. The other thing in terms of, like, it as a business is that my customer... And I find it so weird to think of them as customers. Like they pay us, so I guess they are customers. But in yeah. my head, they're just like our gang. <laughs> I just feel yeah, really yeah. fuzzy about them. Yeah. But they are it literally a phone call away at all times. So I never have to make a decision on my own. I don't have to like develop a product and wonder if it's going to sell. Mm, yeah. I just ask them if they'd like me to develop it and ask them if they'd definitely pay for it and if they thought we were getting it right. And then I'd yep. say, here's how I think it's going to work. Do you have any feedback? And I, yep. you know, I build a build out loud in inverted commas because to do anything else would be insane. Yes. When they're, when you're just surrounded by them and you're like, WhatsApp is full of chats with them and you're having coffee and breakfast and dinner and like, you know, you're in the middle of it. So, yep. so it's such a lovely business to run because it, it's quite, it's quite, um, it's just like, it's just the, the strategy is quite straightforward because mm-hmm. all you do is serve your members. We, li- you know, we, we don't, we don't run the community. The community runs itself. It's yeah, completely yeah. self, like self-sustaining. We're just mm-hmm. kind of bystanders that like garden and support and like yeah. nurture this, yeah. this thing. Um, and I think that's a really humbling place to be in as a business what's the, most, what's the most challenging? Um, convincing people it's worth it. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I think the world's in a bit of a 
kind of mess in terms of the way we perceive community and the way we value it. So, you know, we live in quite, we live very lonely lives yeah. where we look at our phones and we don't interact with real humans, mm-hmm. where we don't have organized religion anymore. We've completely mm-hmm. lost that in us, like for the most part, lost that in our society yeah. where we're replacing like Barry's boot camp with the church. Yeah. Like, well, that's a bit of a woeful parallel. <laughs> like, you know, lo and behold, we may not feel very good. Yeah. Um, and you know, we'll I be think fit though, we'll be ripped. We'll be, yeah, we'll, we'll be ripped. We'll all be sure. ripped. Have sick really rigs, all of us. Yeah. 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 Poor and ripped. Yeah. Poor and ripped. And maybe that's yeah. all that counts. But yeah. I think I don't think we have a currency for community. And yeah, interesting. So I, you know, I, I'm, I hope there are people listening to this who are like, yeah, I've heard of Coffee Club. I'm like, cool. Are you a member? No. Why not? Oh, um, just haven't got round to it. It's mm. like, are you, are you lonely? Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you think your life would be easier if you knew other people that did marketing too? And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Totally. would it be fun to go for a drink with them or like to have someone you could just ask for help on a Tuesday at lunchtime when you're stuck? Yeah. Well, right. Well, what are you doing? I get a bit like, <laughs> kind of like, come on. You know, is it, is it if you want to play? It's 20 pounds a month. So we, it like doesn't cover our costs. It's like a loss leading exercise. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing this to help. Yeah, yeah. So That's I get so a bit, interesting. you know, on a good day, proactive, on a bad day, just like sassy. <laughs> it's really interesting though, that uh, sort of relationship concept you talk about. And I want to get onto like how this applies to like DDC brands and maybe some of the stuff that you guys and you do yeah, and yeah. members do to the, uh, whatever we call them, your clients, brands, you know, one of the yeah. end users or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting you say that those brands you've got, I think it's because you've built the community, you've got a non-transactional relationship with them that allows you the time and the space to be able to have those honest conversations about like new services and stuff. Because I think mm-hmm. in the traditional agency environment, it, it, it always, I mean, I think agencies and services business talk a lot about building relationships, but the power dynamic is sometimes really off and it becomes yeah. very transactional. So, you know, having a, a, a marketing agency with a bunch of clients, I think is very different to what you're talking about because if you built the community element and it starts like that, then there's like a less of a barrier for that conversation to happen. So that development Definitely. of new products and services that you're doing, like I think that's harder to do when you're basically just trying to deliver work for a client on a monthly basis. Yeah, so we do we do a bit of that. So like our brand hackers team are not a typical agency, but we do work on a retained basis or a project basis. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, what I always say to my team and to anyone who anyone who like encounters our ecosystem is like reputation, not reputational damage. That sounds a bit like grandiose. I care so much more that someone has a good experience with us than I do about any particular project or short-term outcome. Mm -hmm. Because the octopus is way bigger than like one individual item. And so that means for our recruitment, for our matchmakers, we would never put someone into a role that wasn't right for them mm-hmm. because the impact of that is potentially catastrophic. Yeah. 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 Totally. You know, we are incentivized to do the right thing yeah. because community comes first. Yeah. yeah. 
for our brand hackers team, and we really practice what we preach on this, and I'm, you know, it's really a point of kind of a thesis for me. We will tell a founder when we think they're making the wrong decision because us being yes people is useless. Mm. You know, what, what's the value of that? We, we absolutely know what we're talking about because we're living and breathing this stuff all day. And so we, we intentionally work mostly with founder-led businesses, which means that the, the founders we work with typically don't have marketing backgrounds. There are variations on this, but like that's kind of the core. And, and in that case, we're being brought in to have a point of view. And I'd so much rather have a point of view and someone say, I, I hear your point of view, I disagree with you, and therefore mm-hmm. I don't think you're the mm-hmm. right partner than to be a nodding dog because yeah. we're just going to deliver really vanilla. I don't know. It's, it's just not, it's not in our interests. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, quite unique because, because of this ecosystem thing, I think we're set up in a way that allows us to do that. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, I want to switch gears slightly and just get back to that concept of like how you are applying some of this stuff to brands and just maybe get your sense of like what's going on in the brand world right now, because yeah, I sure. think brands navigating the current macro climate the last couple of years, is a bit of a challenging one. You, you, you said an interesting point before about like community and it's certainly something I've observed over the last, it's not like a new thing, but like community driven plays within a DTC playbook seem to be more of a thing now. What, what are you seeing? And do you see that there's like, stuff that you're applying from your own community building that is applicable then to the brands that you work with? Um, okay. I think community is a really, really over overused, misappropriated word in the context of brand building. A community is a self-sufficient group of people, like a self-sustaining group. Very, very few brands have that. So Harley think Davidson that they, they think it's that. like a... They're, they're, they're LinkedIn follow or their Instagram following is community, but it's not really. They're just people that like and follow the page. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like you're just publishing to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like it's just completely not what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if they're talking to each other, then you have a community. If mm-hmm. there's a Facebook group that one of your customers has set up to get mm. to know other customers in yep. the area yep. to discuss their relationship with your brand, like yep. Harley Davidson, like Glossier, like sports groups yeah then then that's one thing but but i see very very few examples of it being done in a like being done at all from the perspective of brands and it really like annoys me actually because i just think it's such a i think it's such a disservice to the talent required not not like my talent but like when i see talented community managers yeah some of whom work for me what they are doing is highly skilled. Yeah, totally. And it is curating a it's a curating an environment in which conversations can flourish. It is not presenting information to the world. It's a different thing. Um, why do you what, think it is then? What why do you think it, it is it is it because it's a buzzword? Do you think people have run out of tricks? So they're like, oh shit, we've got to build a community, and then they sort of do it in a maybe not as deep and thoughtful way. And then so it's kind of, is they, it a tick box or so, something? Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the, the, I think the thought process goes, wouldn't it be great if we had a community that was generating loads of demand for our brand of its own energy? And like, wouldn't that make, wouldn't that mean that our word of mouth would be off the charts? Like, yes, it would. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we're going to go out and build a community. We want it to pay for itself in 90 days. 
was fundamentally not going to work. <laughs> like, well, then that's not what you're doing. You're just doing advertising. Yeah, yeah right, right. Like, a, a community takes time. There is no quick fix. It is mm. a slow process of conversation on conversation on conversation on conversation that triggers more authentic conversation that builds a shared belief structure. And I think to build a community for a commercial end is the death of that community itself. Mm. Um, To build a community for the pure love of building a community is a different thing. Um, And so I think the reason it fails is that the business case is fundamentally flawed interesting so let's let's part communities for the moment <laughs> what opportunities do you think brands have got right now given some of the sort of like challenges yeah. like are there any key things you're seeing where yeah. people are winning you know maybe um, i think there is some things from good community building that brands can leverage so having direct honest, open conversations with your customers is the way you build a community, but is also something that any brand can do today. And so that might mean um, asking for feedback way more often than you do. You know, it could mean, it could be as simple as like running really regular yep. surveys where you genuinely ask your audience what they think and how they want you to develop. It could mean baking user interviews into the way you work ongoing it could mean um being explicit in what you want your audience to do so we ran a campaign a few years ago for dr wills where the the situation was that we really needed our tesco rate of sale to pick up tesco's was like the product was just new in tesco's was having a really hard time we had literally a budget of 500 pounds there was no more money and it was kind of make or break. Like we were going to lose this listing if we didn't make it work. And we did loads of like cerebral, like, oh, can we do geo-targeted whatever? In the end, we ran a campaign on LinkedIn where we simply asked our networks to buy the product. Mm. It's like, well, no, why does no one do that? We're like, oh, we're trying to find a way to get people to buy the product. And it was like, well, why don't we just ask them? And that it felt like the most radical thought in the world. So we all just we all just got our phones, made videos, and said, "Hey, we really need you to go and buy this product in Tesco's. This is why this really matters to me. If you do it, and and we, you know, and enough happens in enough sales happen over a period of time, then we'll donate a load of sauce to a food bank because we'll be so yep. grateful. Yep. And, and we called the campaign Save Our Source, and we got vulnerable and consistent and like leveraged our networks and that that kind of thinking I don't think would would come to a marketeer who hadn't understand who hadn't understood how to pull people together Mm, mm, interesting so I think yeah I think thinking around how you build how you turn your customers into an army comes from an understanding of community building yeah interesting interesting okay so not all is lost community we can take some no, <laughs> take some things definitely, from not, definitely not all's lost <laughs> it's definitely can be done but do it for the right reasons yeah yeah totally totally um you touched on something interesting there so um 
consistency and vulnerability, which leads me to an interesting question about personal mm-hmm. branding. So yeah. I want to get your thoughts. Generally, personal branding, and then also maybe, uh, which we talked about before, the seemingly recent rise or explosion of personal branding gurus. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. People buy from people at the end of the day. They also buy from like big trusted household brands. But until you've done that, people buy from people. And this is like the way I think about startup marketing. Um, the way I would work with any founder-led business would be to like start with who are the, who are the humans involved, who are the human mm-hmm. relationships, what are the human mm-hmm. stories. That gives you a launch pad to then go and tell something that's that's bigger, more anonymous, more brand-led. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of knew this as like a textbook theory and really believed in it. And it goes back to the story I told at the beginning, right? Like when I went into perfume, mm-hmm. I was like, well, how am I going to sell more perfume? People buy from people. So yeah. how do yeah. I make that person the supercharged salesperson? Um, and then about, I guess about 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, I was like, right, well, if I believe in this, then that means... I need more visibility because I think the reason people are joining Copy Club is because they feel like a connection with a, with me as a human. And I should probably supercharge this because I think it's I think it's a thing. I think it's gonna work. Mm-hmm. So I committed to posting on LinkedIn every day. I've been doing it for about two years now. Um and it's transformed our business. At like, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Last year, I had a new hire every month. Um, communities doubled in size. Mm-hmm. It's like, pretty obvious that it's working. We have zero marketing budget. Wow. So there's not there's nothing else going on. <laughs> like, it's not like, <laughs> oh, but what about the the event? Like, there's nothing else. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we basically run a business out of my DMs. Yep. Um and. I don't think I don't think we've got headroom yet. Like I think we've got a long way to go. So yeah, I'm a huge believer in it because it has a real purpose, and I have, um, you know, I have a lot that I am then like a bit. There's a big world that I'm bringing someone into. Mm-hmm. Where I think it may be a bit of a wasted effort is when there's nothing to buy you know ultimately if your product's not good then like stop doing the marketing so that's the same as anything like don't build a personal brand if what you are if what that person is introducing hocking a bunch of shit yeah Yeah, exactly yeah yeah, exactly like i I sometimes feel like it's like personal brand first it's like no no product first yeah 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 the (laughs) thing's got to be first right yeah have a really have a really good service and then if that if that's what you decide is the way in which you're going to build interest and awareness of that thing then like absolutely go for it and and in my case it's been a really kind of cost-effective fun energizing eye-opening way of doing it I've absolutely I absolutely loved the journey um the rise of personal branding gurus I think is really connected to that so um I think they're brilliant um I have someone who now helps me with my LinkedIn strategy and is like a sounding board who is a personal branding guru. I use them in quite a different way because I like I do all my copywriting <laughs> copywriting 
that is grandiose. Like I write all my own stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he like helps and like is a good like, oh, this is an interesting theme I'm reading about. Maybe you'd have a view on this or I think you could phrase this more clearly and that sort of stuff, which is really useful. So I think they're really, really important. But only if there's a only if there's a strategy. Mm. Like, wh- who do you want to be? Why mm. do you want to be that? What are you what are you trying to like? What are you fishing for? Um, and I'm not sure that that's always in place. And I think some of that is quite self-evident in what we see on LinkedIn, which is just like hype for the sake of hype. And there's a for me personally, there's a real difference between um, virality and useful engagement. Mm-hmm. Like to be crude, I can post a picture of me in a bikini with six bullet points about how, like, I should be pregnant, but I'm not. I should be married, but I'm not. And it will get, like, incredible reach. Mm -hmm. But is that of any use to me? Like, no, not at all. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting concept, and I I get where you're going with it because I I see those sorts of of, of, of posts that are clear. I mean, I don't know what, I think the end goal there is purely just engagement. It must be because there is no substance to the, to, to what the people are talking about. Right. Well, like if they're, if they're, if they're just trying to get loads of likes and more followers, then I assume that that is good, but your quality is going to be bad. Right. Cause you're going to get a hundred thousand, like a big proportion of them are going to be big weirdos. Right. And like, <laughs> like, let's be honest, you know? And so like, do you want them following you and then knowing about your brand and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So I think it's, I think you've, just, I think like with any personal branding is no different to any other marketing exercise mm-hmm, in the world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is be really clear on what you're trying to achieve and be really clear what's valuable to you. And that might mean all I want is three really quality conversations a year. Yep. Or that might mean I want a huge number of followers because it looks really great when I'm raising money. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, just be really specific on the objective and what end that's going to get you to. Um, I want to look forward a little bit now. Where's Lottie in five years? I absolutely love my job. Like, I cannot believe that this is what I get to do today. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I get to hang out with the most interesting people who I have employed and like literally have bribed to spend loads of time with me. And we have such interesting conversations and I am intellectually challenged constantly. I work with really passionate founders who are doing something often really important Mm -hmm. for the world. And I'm meeting more and more people along the way. So I have no desire to do anything more than I do right now. I have a, like a big itch to scratch in terms of how many people's lives could be positively affected by being part of something Mm -hmm. who are not currently involved. Mm -hmm. So I genuinely believe, I don't think I'm saving the world at all, but I do think being a member of Copy Club makes you a little bit happier. Mm -hmm. Really think that if you take someone who is head of marketing or as a marketing exec or as a founder who used mm-hmm. to be lonely, who used to sit on YouTube trying to find answers to start, <laughs> who used to feel like 
there was no one to turn to. And you say to them, actually, there's a ton of other people asking the same questions, some of whom can help, some of whom can just reassure you that no one knows either. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, you can have a drink with them. If you don't want to and you just want to observe it all play out and you want to watch some like training stuff while you're making your scrambled eggs at lunchtime, I think we make your life a little bit better. And it really pains me when I talk to someone who tells me that they wish they'd found us earlier, which happens all the time. Mm. So me in five years, still doing the same job, more members because I don't, I don't want people to not have us in their lives. Mm-hmm. And um and continuing to build a copy club internal team that is like a special place to work, mm-hmm. which is now a big part of my focus. Like I didn't, you know, 18 months ago, I wasn't, wasn't worrying about building an internal culture. Now a lot of my, my time is focused on like, yeah. what is this is a place to work. Yeah, totally. Um, and I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like I did at PNG, which was like, I was being forced into a mold that wasn't me. <laughs> I think that sounds like a great five-year plan. Um, final question, uh, best restaurant in London for a supper club? Well, we are hosting a dinner in Coal Rooms in Peckham in September. Mm. I'm really nice. excited about um, it is a supper club for food and drink founders. Um, and we've got a gorgeous space there. And I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, otherwise, we don't often use restaurants. We typically use like authentic supper club spaces. So uh, cool. spaces yeah. where a chef comes in and does something. Yep. And we've had some really, really magical nights in strange locations all over London. It's not <laughs> a coffee club event if you don't turn up and go this was an absolute nightmare to find and we're like (laughs) (laughs) there's always there's always a load of people staring at google maps on a street corner in some like sketchy (laughs) part of east london and lovely i think you're looking for me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm excited Uh, for courtyards nice i think that's a great way to end the podcast lottie thank you so much for joining me pleasure loved it There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clevio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. You know what they say about folk with glass jaws.